As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on. Well, sort of. In keeping with the rest of the world, the latest F1 news is of things being postponed, with the Dutch, Spanish and Monaco Grand Prix called off. The 2021 technical regulations have been bumped back to 2022, the shutdown has been brought forward, it's all happening in terms of Formula One effectively just shutting down for the next few months. And what's more, this might not be the last negative impact coronavirus has as it wreaks havoc with every aspect of life. I'm Ed Straw and joining me to discuss the implications are Scott Mitchell and Glenn Freeman. Scott, how's uh, how's the life of isolation in Sweden? Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I went for a nice long walk this morning. Checked out um, checked out the old Alfred Nobel dynamite factory and the old bunkers that are uh, carved out into the into the hillsides down by the by down by Lake Melleren. So I've had a I've had a pretty good first day in in isolation to be honest. And I've also got the uh, Toka Two uh, racing uh, emulator, uh, the old uh, PlayStation One game. Uh, I had an auspicious start to my Volvo career. Had a massive crash with teammate Ricard Rydell. So we're not on speaking terms at the moment. But other than that, it's been a pretty good start to life uh, away from the F1 track. Knowing Ricard, I'd say it's almost impossible not to be on speaking terms with him, uh, given uh, given his character. But uh, but Glenn Freeman, talking of that, you've been less Tucker uh, 2 and a bit more F197. Yeah, I've been kind of split down the middle. Uh, I started with F197 before I got my hands on Toka. I'm um, 10 races into my second season, having uh, narrowly missed out on the championship with Benetton. Switched to McLaren, um, but I'm now something like 30 points behind Villeneuve because, and this is quite realistic, uh, I suffered spectacular engine failures while leading the British and German Grand Prix. So that's about right for McLaren in 97, very accurate. 
Well, it's going much better than my campaign with Prost having uh, booted Shinji Nakano out of his seat, where uh, I've I've shown good pace but uh, poor execution and a little bit of bad luck. So, uh, but I'm I'm not I'm not into my second season yet. So that there's time to uh, time to improve. But that's about all the the racing we have been uh, able to uh, to do in the past uh, past few days. Um, Scott, 2021 regulations. This was obviously the big new fresh start for Formula One, much vaunted simplification of rules, better racing, cars able to follow, everyone very, very excited, huge year for Formula One. And now the 2021 rules will not happen in 2021. No, coronavirus is really starting to take the mick now, isn't it? It's already ruined the first third of the 2020 season and now it's taken its first casualty of 2021 as well. Um, I think this is uh, it's, it's unfortunate because, as you say, this was meant to be the bold new start for F1, fixing a lot of uh, problems, and the technical regulations were were a key part of that. Uh, uh, comfortably, the sort of biggest amount uh, amount of change, and yeah, very crucial part of of the overhaul. And unfortunately, it's going to get postponed to twenty twenty two. I still think it is it's the right decision. Uh, you, I guess, it's the only decision really uh, in in the context. You've got the teams facing quite a considerable loss in income. Which won't be felt until until a year's time, which would have meant that they'd be um, be be well into they'd be developing twenty twenty one cars now, spending money, um, that and and not getting a a big chunk of that money back uh, next year when the when the prize money comes in because this reduced schedule of races means less money in F one's pot, which means less participation money and less prize money based on how they do this season. So, yeah, it's a nasty situation for F one to be in and by extension the teams. So anything that can be done to lessen the impact needs to be done and if pushing back this overhaul by a by a year is the best way to do it then then i'm all for it because the worst case scenario would be bringing in this massive rule change in 2021 and then having two or three teams fall off the grid later in the year because they've run out of money yeah, and it reflects how serious the situation is although currently the season starts the, the first uncancelled race so far is azerbaijan at the start of june we can't be sure of that happening, so it makes sense to um, for teams to play it very conservatively and not dig themselves into a, into a financial hole. I guess, I guess, Glenn, this does show that Formula One at least has taken decisive action because we have seen some other sports are very much in a state of limbo. And although Formula One is partly, at least there's a there's a clear move that at least means they know where they stand for 2021 and 2022 and can plan accordingly. Yeah, we've got to credit F1 for for taking swift action this time. I think when you say other sports have been in limbo or, or implying that some haven't reacted quick enough, F1 has to be in that category as well. I think they've they've dealt with the short-term stuff quite poorly up to now, and hopefully this is a sign that, you know, they they're going to start being more proactive on that. So I really do applaud them though for taking swift action to safeguard the long term Uh, scott and i were working on a video that you'll be able to see on the race youtube channel um probably by the time this podcast comes out and in that one of the things we said was the fact that f1 hadn't really got itself into gear with all the problems it's faced so far but with this it's gone right here's an issue and f1's got more control over the long term it's very hard to control the short term when you're reacting all the time to things changing in, in right in front of you but with the long term they can go right we are in control of our own destiny when it comes to those 2021 rules the only people forcing us to try and put those in next year is us so let's protect the teams let's protect the stakeholders and let's just give ourselves some more time and as I think we'll come on to over the course of this discussion I think there could actually be some 
positive knock-on effects by the F1 delay in the rules until 2022. Well, it gives them a bit more time to sort out some of the details because they were still issuing new versions of the 21 rules as late as, late as February during testing. Another few set of tweaks uh, came out for that. But yeah, a, a pragmatic move. And certainly when it looked when it looked like early on that it might just be a few races that, that were cancelled, you thought, well, like, they can get away with pressing on. But the, the potential size of the, 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 the knock that the, the, the the pot of money that they're going to be sharing is going to take this is huge isn't it you know this is something that does potentially pose a threat to teams so it's only right that they weren't asked uh, or weren't asking themselves because the teams have been behind driving this to kind of gamble their future on making sure their 21 development is uh, is as it should be so although Scott as Glenn was saying it's good F1's made this move this is also in self-interest really isn't it it's it's a sensible move but it's it's also to protect the existence of the teams, the jobs, and, and the whole of F1. Yeah, well, we're in massive self-preservation mode now. Um, if you look at the measures that other sports have, have had to take, um, football is a good example because there's been all sorts of question marks over what the hell happens to the to the current current league seasons that are being played. Well, now you've got this, uh, you've got an indefinite extension of the current season. The European Championships have been pushed back to to next year these aren't half measures these are these are these are huge decisions designed to to try and salvage some kind of acceptable uh, solution and I've, I've read stories um again on the, on the football side of of how 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 teams are basically looking for well, not not bailouts but basically supporting payments and stuff like this you know livelihoods and entire businesses are on the line this is an issue that goes well beyond f1 because it's a it is a pandemic it's a it's a global outbreak and the, the consequences are, are wide reaching it depends obviously on where, where exactly you live now but i'm sure most of our most of our listeners are seeing consequences on an hourly basis if not a, if not a daily basis so yeah, huge, wide-reaching consequences, and F one's basically doing doing everything it, it can to protect itself from it. You could definitely argue that until now, F one's not necessarily been putting its best foot forward in terms of combating this problem. But I would say that faced with the the unenviable scenario, it has it has been the the, the action it has been taken. It's given itself as much of a breathing breathing space as possible before starting the twenty twenty season theoretically in June. Uh, who knows if that's actually going to be enough time, but at least now we're away from the the needless sort of uh, pigeon steps of two or three weeks of you know fake releases or updates on this race might happen, this race might happen, and then oh two weeks before it gets cancelled and that sort of thing. At least it's at least it's decisive. They they could have strung it along a bit longer, and I'm glad that they haven't. Yeah, I think the whole kind of pretending that these races were going to go on was becoming quite frustrating and that's obviously tied up to contractual implications and you know the the what we're seeing play out in in the media through all these statements now is uh, a more stretched out example of what you guys were living in Australia before you came back all of the you know who's going to pull the trigger I'm glad that we've got to a stage now where we are saying right we know that the rest of March all of April and all of May's races are gone but I think the other thing about safeguarding the teams this is a good example of where we've got all the teams on board quickly and it probably is a situation where those at the top could have managed through this situation and could have got a car out in time for 2021 but everybody's doing this for the greater good and it is the smaller teams in the back half of the grid those are the ones who could have potentially suffered and as Scott made the football comparison you know in football I think we're talking about teams maybe two or three divisions down 
from the top tier of the sport are the ones at risk. In F1, it's people who are competing against each other every week. You know, you could easily lose two or three teams at the back of the F1 grid. And I'm glad we haven't had weeks and weeks of Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, maybe even, you know, a well-off team now like Racing Point saying, no, we want to crack on with this. And I feel that for once F1 has looked at, looked out for the interests of the common good. And, you know, sometimes it takes a crisis to make everybody get on the same page. But at least, at least we haven't got a kind of difference of opinion here. And I, I love how swift the action's been on this, I have to say. Exactly. There's nothing like an existential threat to uh, really create proper decisive action. And of course, the hope is that this will allow the teams to, to keep operating properly. Of course, even when they're not racing, there are significant overheads to a team, staff costs, the factory facilities, etc. So even having them sat idle, if that's what they were doing, and they'll still be doing things, but it, there's still a huge cost attached to them even without flying around the world and uh, and taking part in races. But obviously the, the the desire will be on Formula One's part to get as many races in as they possibly can. And in fact, uh, Ross Braun uh, alluded to that in an interview with Sky Sports F1 uh, after Australia, where he said, well, he hopes the teams will will be kind of flexible in terms of what schedule they allow to, to minimise the, the financial hardship. But Scott, there's a little bit more detail in terms of, of these rules. Obviously, the financial rules, the, uh, the the cost cap, the $175 million cost cap, but of course there's various things not included, including drivers and your three highest paid personnel, etc. So that will come in in 2021. And then there's certain things related to what you can actually carry over. I think you have to keep your, your monocoque, don't you, for, uh, for 2021. So it does make 21 very much kind of 2020 part two, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And there are... There is going to be an interesting sort of consequence to it as well because the 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 key the key thing for me is that while the technical regs are getting pushed back to 2022, the financial regs are still going to come in in 2021. So that means a cost cap of 175 million dollars in place for next year. So that means when teams are developing this all new car that comes in, they're now going to be doing that under the cost cap. Whereas before, when that car was coming in in 2021. The teams would have been free to develop that this year. So it means the big teams throwing whatever money they want uh, developing this car. Now everyone's going to be doing it under that that cost cap. It doesn't mean that the midfield teams are suddenly going to be on an even kill because some of them won't be near that cost cap anyway. But it does at least make the big teams a bit closer. And on top of that, while the chassis and maybe the gearbox and some other parts are going to be frozen from 2020 to 21, there's still going to be aerodynamic development available next year. So... I'm just wondering exactly how that will play out because that means that if a team has the money to exhaust the entirety of the budget cap, they, if they want to develop the aero on their 2021 car, that's all money that's going to that's gonna have to come out of a pot that would otherwise be spent on 2022 and the all-new car. So are you going to have teams basically, put it this way, in 2020, before the start of this season, all the talk was about when would a team switch over development of the 2020 car to next year. But now, surely the question is going to be how many of the teams actually even bother developing the 21 car? Because surely you want to throw every penny you've got at nailing 2022. It's difficult, isn't it? Because again, it will depend on the uh, the situation you're in. And, and the, irony, the irony is that it will be often the teams who have the most to gain in terms of how far away they are from the kind of ceiling of what's possible with these regs who have the the most potential and desire to improve who actually are under the most financial stress. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, whatever happens 
the uh, the better funded teams will be in a better situation because obviously there's still no cost cap at play this year. So, you know, if you're Red Bull or Ferrari or Mercedes, you probably think, well, we can spend pretty much whatever we whatever we can get our hands on this year on, and, and still work on what is now the 2022 project anyway, whereas at least, you know, the, the smaller teams know that they can uh, they can afford to be a little bit more restrained, should we say. That, that's the thing that needs to avoid, this thing where a team like, for example, Williams was sat there thinking, well, have we got to gamble our future massively? Because if we're not in good shape in, in, in 2021, if we have the new rules in 2021, we're going to be sunk. So actually we have to massively roll the dice financially. So it's just created that little bit of breathing space i guess is the is the way of uh the, the way of uh looking at it and of, and of course the interesting thing is for teams they just don't know how much money they're going to get because you know ross broad was talking about still hoping there's going to be an 18 19 race calendar after australia obviously as time ekes away that gets harder and harder doesn't it you know we know we know for example monaco's not going to happen because shortly after the f1 statement that it was postponed monaco said no we're off didn't they scott so we know that's one race that's definitely not coming back this year. Yeah, they were quite emphatic. It got me quite excited. Um, I I thought it was uh, I thought it was just quite nice to see how just hard line they were about it. The automobile automobile club, the Monaco, with uh, yeah, just a, just a really emphatic shutdown of any prospect of the race happening. Just said that under no circumstances can it or the historic Grand Prix that runs two weeks before the F one race they can't happen this year. Um, it, it was just. They just reeled off this massive list of reasons why the only responsible course of action is to bin it entirely. And I do respect that. I know that they've been saying for a couple of weeks now in interim statements that they expect the event to go ahead. But this was because there was no there was no clear communication from, from F1. And F1 did make a bit of a rod for its own back with how it was handling some of it. For example, that release that they put out last week saying, oh, we aim for an end of May start but they hadn't postponed the two races that were being held in the first half of May, which was just, which was just nonsense. Um, but they have at least got to the point now where you know, Australia is not officially off. It was cancelled, but that was because they said that was the terminology they used because it was very, very close to the start of the event, less than two hours before FP1 when they finally pulled the plug. Um, but in all, to all intents and purposes, that race is cancelled because it's really, really hard to get it back on the schedule at a later date. So Australia's out, Monaco's out, which means that we've still got Bahrain, China, Vietnam, uh, Zandvoort and and Spain. They, they all need to be slotted back in. And that's just at the time of recording this podcast. I dare, I, I dare not say with complete confidence that by the time you listen to this, that those are going to be the only postponed races. But that's five races already at least, that you've got to try and reschedule. And if the season's going to start at the earliest in June, that's not a lot of time to get them all in. I think Ross's target of an 18 to 19 race season is is a little bit ambitious. It might still be possible. I think there is still a way to do this without it being a, a massive, massive headache. But I think the longer this goes on for, and it, there are no indications that this is going to end in a couple of weeks' time, the more we're looking at a race racing season that could be 15, 16 races, if not less. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be uh, betting the farm on the season starting in Azerbaijan on uh, on, on June the 7th, unless anybody wants to, uh, uh, to to tell me differently. But yeah, there's there's ways and means they can get the races in, of course, when we sort of say races, we basically mean individual events. Ross Braun did leave the door open to potentially having double headers. So if we have a scenario where you get towards the end of the season and or well, the end of the year and only then is racing starting to happen, they could cram in 
races that there's this uh, this number in the sporting regs that they need a minimum of eight races for it to be a championship. Personally, I actually think they'll be aiming to go more than that, just in terms of credibility. You want kind of 12, 14 races uh, in a worst case scenario to to try and make it look uh, make it look good. But that's uh, obviously some way way off now but uh yeah very difficult situation of course the number of races is directly related to how much the the income is and of course there's the broadcasters as well they they pay big money to broadcast 22 races how many races are they going to get and what impact does that have on the revenue for formula one there's sponsorship situations as well in terms of you know how how much money do teams get from sponsors because if you've done a deal for 22 races and you're only getting however many 12 14 you might not be getting specific races you want you know monaco not happening while that's not a bad thing in terms of the income because it doesn't pay for its race it's still a, a blue ribbon race isn't it what sponsors will be happy about losing that so there's all this going on you can only imagine how much work's going on in formula one teams to understand the implications of all this and it's one thing if it was just right these races are off the season starting here and you know what's happening quite another when you're shooting at a moving target and i think that's why Coming back to the, the 2021 regs being postponed to 2022, it's such a it's such a sensible uh, such a sensible move. But I mean, Glenn, this whole thing is just putting a whole of motorsport in in jeopardy, really, isn't it? You know, it's not just Formula One that's going to be running around trying to work out what it's doing, but every category, you know, teams, championships, sponsorship. It's an absolute mess. A bit like with much of the rest of the world at the moment, isn't it? It's a, it's a really alarming situation isn't it for people who work in in motorsport for everyone who, who just depends on it yeah it's, it's frightening in that respect because there's lots of people who, whose income is dependent on on races happening you know a lot of people who work in motorsport for teams and in the media and in any other sector that's affected by it are not necessarily on salaries they're on you know that they're getting paid for the work that needs to be carried out and some of those people right now there's there's no work that needs to be done so that's that's very worrying for them and, and that is a problem that is, is going around society and I'm sure that whatever happens to the economy is going to affect motorsport itself as well. We saw that with the recession in 2008, you know, how many manufacturers, how many big teams did we lose because of that before that decade was even out? So the repercussions for this will be will be long term and I think that's one of the reasons that F1 taking some sensible safeguarding long term action is very sensible and I found it really interesting when Scott was talking there about the financial restrictions still coming in for next year that does feel like a positive step and it could be my initial reaction to that was that that there'll be an inadvertent benefit there because of what Scott explained which is that teams will be developing those 2022 cars under the financial restrictions I'm still a little bit worried about how much money the big three teams in particular will spend this year especially if they're not going racing very much. You know, if anything, they've got even more time and resource to to dedicate to that project, especially if there's not going to be a big new car for next year. But some of the other things that I thought was that we've been saying in pre-season, I'm very interested to get your two takes on this because you were at testing with Gary Anderson talking about this on a daily basis. We've been saying in pre-season here that... um, it looked like the new season was going to be closer than last season. And we so often hear from teams and people in the sport, don't we, that, oh, what you actually need to close the field up is stable regulations. Well, we've, we've ended up getting another year out of these regulations. So could that mean that if not much development is going into next year's cars, are we actually going to see the field a little bit closer in however many races we get this year? 
and potentially a lot closer in however many races we get in 2020. Yeah, it means Williams are going to fight for the title knew next it, year. Knew it. Mass, massive jump forward. No, I think it's a, it's, it's a good point, um, especially because it is a bit of a ghost season 2021. Uh, like it, it's, it's such a weird one. Um, it, it's a little bit like, um, you know how the, the, the sort of weird shuffling of the calendars was in the first few seasons of um, Formula E? when you'd have a season that ended in late July and started two months later, but testing for the new season started like three weeks after the previous season ended. And it was, it was just weird. You just sort of like these sort of like a season 0.5. It was, that, that was, was quite peculiar to be a part of. And what you've got this year, as I said, like I said before, you're going to have teams as well, weighing up exactly how much aero development to do in the, in the second year. You know, a team is going to, how how much prescription is there going to be in the in the carryover of of rules from 2020 to 2021 is that going to put um is that going to put the the onus on teams to focus on different areas or, or are we just going to have like constant stagnation it's it's very very interesting and i think if for example racing point makes a big step this year which is what we're sort of maybe thinking they can do with their mercedes clone are they going to then be in a position to challenge the top three next year if they're not quite this year? Especially because, and I saw you joked about this on on, on Twitter, Glenn, th- this wasn't meant to be possible in, in 2021 to carry over this philosophy because it was meant to be an all-new car. But now we're going to have a situation where actually these cars exist next year. So a Merc, a Merc going to find that their 29, uh, 2020 car turns up in, in, in 2021 as a, as a pink, pink race point or a green Aston Martin or whatever the hell that car is going to be next year. So there's quite a lot of unknowns and it will be really interesting to see what the impact is on the, the competitive order for, for 2020 and 2021. One of the things I'm partly expecting is that I guess whatever we see in pre-season of 2021, it's not going to be, I'm not expecting sort of, you know, big new car unveilings. I'm almost expecting it to be more like a Grand Prix Friday where everyone's got some new bits. A bit like the Spanish Grand Prix used to be where everyone would bring an upgrade to Barcelona in May for the start of the traditional European season. I can see testing being a bit like that, where all the teams go, right, we've got to this point of the year. We'll just put a load of effort into a big upgrade for the start of testing rather than a fundamental new car because as you said at the start of this Scott potentially quite a lot of parts are going to have to be carried over in the regulations well it's also going to be interesting to to see actually what testing needs to take place at the start of 2021 if this is a carryover of the of most of the 2020 components and there's only going to be aerodynamic changes do we need to go testing is is there actually fundamentally any point in that when's the when's the 2020 season actually going to end I can't see it spilling over into January or February in 21, but if the season doesn't start until October and they still think there's a chance of getting a dozen or so Grand Prix in, what's to stop it running until January or February with some South American races thrown in around there? And then the season starts as the 2021 season starts in, in, in late March without any pre-season testing. Ed, is that, a, is that totally insane? Do we need to have a formal pre-season testing process and do we need to keep it fairly normal? I expect teams will want to have a certain amount of, of testing because even though they're having to carry over, you know, the same monocoque, et cetera, they will still be able to, if they're willing to invest the, the, the resources in it, they will be able to have different aero packages, et cetera, change things. So they'll always like that testing, but that doesn't necessarily mean they need the same six days. And if, if costs, et cetera, 
and and the economic side is a concern, then it would perhaps be logical to to keep that to, to a minimum, uh, shall we say, and just just carry that advantage. So I, I imagine it'll depend on how the coming months shake out because teams will have a better idea in a few months how long they're going to be waiting to get started in in, in terms of racing. I, I would, however, say I'd be very surprised if they carry over the 2020 season into next year. I think they'll want a, a clean break and still have a distinct 2020 and 2021 uh, championship happening although of course if things don't get started until kind of late November December time they may have no no choice in the in the matter no matter how much they they stack those uh, those races and then if we get to the end of 2020 and you know we, we hope this isn't the case but but the global situation doesn't allow anything to happen then maybe they just scratch 2020 you know it just it just never happened uh, effectively so um yeah I, I think we'll uh the number of test days probably won't be high on their agenda, but I, I suspect they'll probably they'll probably reduce it. They won't want to go straight into um, into Australia. Uh, should we take a very quick break and then come back with more chat? Because there's there's other implications for this we can delve into. Well, welcome back, and after our very very brief podcast shutdown in the middle, there perfect time to talk about the F1 team shutdown. Now, Scott, the two-week shutdown that was that was scheduled for August, that every team has to take two weeks over a three-week period, has now been brought forward, and it's a three-week shutdown that has to be completed by the end of April. Uh, teams, some teams have already started uh, on this. Certainly, Ferrari, I think, have shut down, haven't they? So, again, pragmatic and sensible move to to bank that. Although, <laughs> whether whether it really works in the same way the shutdown was intended, uh, is, is is a moot point, isn't it? Yeah, especially as the you know the purpose of it is meant to be to protect the the thousands of employees who are who, who work their fingers to the bone the rest of the year and then get a, at least a couple of weeks off in the summer. Uh, instead, having probably made a bunch of summer holiday plans already and made made time to to see their family or maybe go on holiday or something like that, they're now having that break brought forward to March and April when I suspect their options are massively limited because you can't really fly anywhere at the moment thanks to the the very reason that the shutdown's been brought forward. So um, while I, I'm, not I'm not saying that them being cooped up at home with their, their loved ones or their friends is necessarily a bad way to spend some time off, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of not really what the shutdown's meant to be about. And also, it's a bit, uh, it's not a trade. You can't just swap it then for now and expect it to have the same result because we've just come off the back of the winter which obviously is an intense time for the teams and I'm sure that after bussing it all the way over to Australia and back uh, they'll, they'll they'll like a bit of time off. What's, it doesn't matter does it because you're just going to come back from that be working very very hard to make sure that they hit the ground running whenever the season can start and then they're going to have an intense run of races whenever the season begins, whether it's 15 races between August and December or 19 races between June and, and, and December. It's going to be an intense burst. And when when it starts, there's not going to then be that, that two or three week period where it relents. So you're either going to have team members absolutely busting a gut trying to get to the end of the year and then having to throw themselves into this, the, the the work that they can do for 2021 or you're going to have to have teams being really careful and rotating team members and stuff like that and maybe mistakes slip in there because you've got sort of a rotating cast instead of permanent people doing doing specific jobs so I don't I don't personally think it, it works the same way as the, the shutdowns intended I know it's not exactly ideal circumstances and it maybe it protects something but it's it's still not what it's meant to be yeah Scott's right it, it it's 
I think it's the pragmatic thing to do and it's a way of, you know, everyone's trying to buy time at the moment and this is a good way for the F1 teams to do that. I think, you know, Ferrari had already um, had to shut down their factory because of the restrictions in Italy anyway. But as Scott outlined there, the whole point of the summer break in a way usually is to prevent the kind of human cost of Formula One as the as the seasons get longer and longer and you guys go to all or most of the races, you know exactly what that's like. You're doing you're doing those long haul flights in the second half of the season and you're in economy as far as I'm aware. I don't think we pay you enough for either of you to travel business class. Um so yeah, if you end up with a fourteen race season across twenty one, twenty two weeks, that's gonna absolutely ruin people because you can have a recharge now, but you still only recharge to 100%. Just because you get a longer break at the start of the season doesn't mean you start the season even more refreshed than normal and you therefore have more sort of energy reserves to get through. So it's going to be really difficult for everybody. And, we, you know, we had those dodgy comments, didn't we? Um, not related to this, but in the past, we've had those comments from Jean Tot talking about, you know, just, just piling more races and what's the problem. And I think, well... I do slightly worry if if people who are in that position who don't who don't suffer the human toll in the same way that the guys and girls who make the weekends happen um, do, it's going to be really really difficult. And you talk about you know staff rotation there, Scott. With with twenty two races, there'd have been a little bit of that, but in some ways the teams aren't necessarily set up where they can. You know, we're not going to see alternating sort of crews of mechanics, are we? Those guys are going to every race. And curfew or no curfew, they're absolutely flogging themselves. Yeah, I guess the important thing about the shutdown is that the kind of regulatory need to have this is is satisfied by this. So they're not obligated to have it in, in August. But I do think it's important when they reschedule that they have in mind not completely flaying their, their personnel. You know, yes, they need to do as many races as they can in order to make sure that the income is there. But they do need to be relatively, you know, they need to be responsible. You can put... You could, yeah, exactly. You you can push your staff hard, and it's very very easy for those who get to travel in business or first class all the time to uh, to make those those decisions on behalf of uh, their personnel. But there needs to be a certain level of, of of responsibility. So I just hope that that is done. And obviously, in amongst all of this, there's going to be this desperate scramble to reschedule races. Where do you slot in all these these kinds of things? And and you could end up with some really bizarre back to backs as well, which is not ideal. I remember one year we had Abu Dhabi and Brazil back to back. We went from Brazil to Abu Dhabi. I think it may have been 2010 actually, the year of that great title decider. I remember it taking me about 40 hours door to door to get from Sao Paulo to uh, to to, uh, to Abu Dhabi, and that's not a very practical back to back. But there's there's all these things that have to be considered, but that'll be low down the list of factors to be looked at because it's all going to be, well, where where can we fit this race in? How does the freight work? You know, can, can we actually make this calendar fit together? Because it's not just as simple as you put a few races down on, on weekends that are free. There's so many factors that, uh, that, that feed into it. And of course, even now, F1 will be running around trying to work out what the feasibility is for running certain races on certain dates. And we have to remember, it's also a movable feast because... Every other sporting event, every other major gathering, major cultural event has basically been put off. So everyone's going to be trying to squash everything into the sort of second half of the year. So it's not even just Formula One having to to wonder what's going on. It's about how it interacts with all those other sports so that local areas don't get completely overwhelmed. So it, it's an absolute mess that mess the whole thing. And I do fear that um, 
employee welfare and uh, and that kind of thing might slide a little bit too far down the uh, the agenda but we'll see if you if you consider how many times um we've heard people talk about how difficult the calendar is to put together well we've just lost 3 months of the uh, of the raceable part of the year and okay we've maybe lost two we might lose more races uh, from that so that that does offset it slightly you've still got not enough time basically to fit in everything that you want and the calendar is already a big compromise to piece together and it's going to become an even bigger compromise i don't want to see any more races fall off the calendar because that's it's that's it's not worth joking about but one thing that i wouldn't be unhappy to see would be this horrible azerbaijan canada back to back that can uh, that can um that can fall if if one's going to go or if the calendar's going to f- get put back at all that's one thing I, I wouldn't mind seeing because as you said Ed sometimes we get these ridiculous back-to-backs and that's one of them I think if the season starts at the beginning of June I think we've actually got a good chance of getting a really healthy number of races in because um, we've we, we talked about this on a you can check it out actually uh, an article that we've that we've appeared so if you um, if you head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen you'll be able to check out an article we did putting together the uh, an alternative proposal for the calendar which is based around slotting say for example um the spanish grand prix or dutch grand prix into a triple header with um with with france and and austria or or britain and hungary you've got the summer break which might allow you to slot in vietnam you could put china in back to back with japan later in the year and then shuffle everything back and end with a double header of bahrain and abu dhabi so i think uh, i think it is doable but the problem is this is based entirely on the hypothetical scenario we start at the beginning of June, which is already massively late. And I've got to be honest, the, the longer this goes on for and the more races fall by the wayside, the, the less confident I am that it will actually start in June. Yeah, and it's, we're still on trajectory where things are getting worse in, <laughs> in this part of the world. And we've got to remember that you're only kind of as strong as your weakest link as well. So, you know, this this situation globally needs to be uh, needs to have cleared a lot in order for that to to happen so i'd be very i'd be very surprised but very happy if uh, the season was to start in uh, in backer at the, at the start of june i mean all these things we're talking about it's just it's unprecedented disruption isn't it isn't it glenn you know we talked in the previous podcast briefly about other times there have been threats to the championship but it's never gone this far this is the most disrupted Formula One World Championship season there's already there's ever been already and there could be further disruption to come so it's just absolutely seismic and you, you feel that Formula One will feel the effects of this long term whether that's for better or for worse in fact yeah I mean you know we talked earlier about Monaco being off the calendar that's that almost never happens and hasn't happened for for decades and decades now and I think it's the long-term effects, we are going to be looking back at what's happened in 2020 in two, three, four years down the line and being and being able to trace certain things that have happened in F1, whether that's, who knows, team manufacturer pullouts, whether it's driver market changes, whether it's changes to the competitive order. All of these things are going to have happened as a result of this massive, massive disruption. And trying to pick a positive out of it there could actually be some interesting things that happen to F1 competitively because of this disruption. Not necessarily immediately because the cars already designed the what we might call the Class A, Class B split is probably baked in for whatever we get this year and now next year potentially. But it really could affect how good a job people do with designing the new cars to the new rules. And 
it's going to make all these little differences and changes to the trajectory of every individual piece in Formula One. And that's going to be really interesting, I think. And there's also, Scott, the whole other dimension of we've got the commercial agreements all up in the air for 2021 and, and beyond. Obviously, that, that can't be put back because, you know, teams teams are signed up to the end of this year and not beyond. So I can't see this not having an impact on, on those negotiations that have been going on behind the scenes. So who, who knows what the knock-on effect will be on that? Yeah, I, I literally don't know. Um, it's it, you, you would hope that the situation that the teams are in now, Mattia Bonotto referenced this in an interview he did with the official F1 website and the Renault team also put something out in a they did a statement basically outlining how they're going to be handling the the coronavirus situation and and part of that was basically the vibe from both Ferrari and Renault has been this is not a time for agendas this is not a time for selfishness and, and playing tricks and the usual political games basically you just got to get down to business now and and do what's best for the championship and actually do wonder if I, I might be being really naive here but I've had a nice day so let's roll with it and see what happens but I'd like to think that maybe this is an opportunity for for the F1 teams and everybody else to actually um, to, to recognize that there's an opportunity here to just do, do what is actually in the best interest of the championship. This is the first time that the big teams have got arguably as much to lose as the little teams. Normally, the big teams can afford to be selfish because, well, you know, they're, they're the ones that bring in the big money. They're the ones that, that have all, all of the power and they're also much more secure than the smaller teams. So they can push for a little bit more. They can ask for a little bit more. They can threaten to walk away. They can do all of this. Situation we're in now, if this continues for much longer, everyone's at risk because for a manufacturer team, you need to not cost your board much money. Or if you're Mercedes, ideally, you make a profit. The longer this goes on for and the less prize money they get, and bear in mind someone, a team like Mercedes has had a massive amount of prize money over the last few years, the smaller that pot gets. And while there are certain expenses that do get lower because you're not going to as many races, there are still big costs involved. So you have to get to the point where the big teams have arguably as much to lose as the smaller teams, puts everyone on an even keel, and suddenly it's just about getting the healthiest championship you can get. And you and that those sort of vested interests and games like that, they, they have a much smaller yield. So if this brings everyone together and we get a better resolution from a Concord point of view, then I think that's a, a, an all-round win for the teams and the championship. Whether that actually happens whether this passes quick enough for normal service to resume and everyone starts playing their games and putting their little digs in and stuff like that, I don't know. But you have to be optimistic because the situation we're in at the moment, nobody comes out of this good. No one comes out of this in a positive situation. You've got to try and make the best of it. And the only way that's possible is if everyone is basically pulling their weight evenly and going in the right direction. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of politics going on in the background, but right now there is a bit more unity of purpose. But certainly... Glenn, this is going to be one of those things we look back on and we see all these different threads. We don't quite know where these roads are going to lead, but I think it is going to be significant. And we'll say, actually, this has its roots in what happened in early 2020. So I guess when we start recording the Bring Back V6 Hybrid Turbos podcast, this is going to be a great topic, isn't it? I've given you a great chance for a plug there. Yeah, I mean, there's. I'm worried that, well, other people are worried that there's nothing to talk about. But obviously, we've just launched a new podcast uh Covers motorsport from 1989 to 2005. I say motorsport, it's F1. Bring back V10s. Uh, new episode has only just come out, the first full episode. And, uh, well, there's always going to be old stuff to talk about, so we'll just keep doing that. But, um, yeah, I think in, what, 20 years' time maybe when, uh, I well, 
We'll bring back V6s be that interesting, really. I haven't done that many episodes for Bring Back These Hens that are about um, all the Schumacher-Ferrari years. Uh, so maybe people look back on this era and think, oh, it's just Mercedes winning every time. But who knows? Maybe, maybe this disruption will somehow upset the uh, Mercedes bandwagon and, and put them off, off track. But the way that team operates, I feel like if anyone's going to come out of this having made a bigger step, it's probably that team because they seem to be the sharpest at everything. I was uh, I, when I was on the plane back from Australia. I was watching the F1 2014 season review. Why? Obviously, well, because I well genuinely you you mentioned it there. This is why I bring it up. I actually wanted to see what history has done for that season. I wanted to see right actually away from it all and just a, f- a few years of reflection. What does that look like? Oh my God, 2014 was mega. It was it was so good. You had an actual title fight that had animosity between the protagonists. You had at Bahrain, for example, when they had that mega fight between Lewis and, and, and Rosberg, you had a Force India on the podium on merit. Just It just was, Perez was the third fastest person. You had all these stories going on in the background, Ricardo deposing Vettel, the capitulation of Red Bull and Renault, the Alonso back to McLaren and Vettel to Ferrari storyline at the end of the year. You had just... Cars actually breaking down at the start of it. I thought it was, it was a, an actual authentic season with also good racing on on track as well. There was loads going on. I think 2014 was mega. This this is uh, this is a pro 2014 F1 agenda. So in 20 years time, when you do your bring back V6s, I'll be on there for the 2014 season, going, oh, do you remember when all this stuff happened? This was incredible. Yeah, that, that's an amazing tangent you've uh, you got off on there. But no, 2014 was a fascinating season. There's nothing yeah. else to talk about, Ed. So I have <laughs> to go up on. I have to go out off on tangents. There is plenty to talk about. I can assure you of that, and we're going to keep talking on that on this podcast. Can uh, can assure you of that. Uh, and I guess just bringing it back to the current situation, having uh, wandered down that uh, that cul-de-sac. If you're in the position of of some of these teams, how would you look at allocating resources? across the, the the next few years because yes you want 2022 as we now have to say uh 2022 to be you know a reset and a good opportunity to take a leap forward but now there's 2021 to consider there's how much i mean obviously you've got the question of how much development you do on 2020 but 2021 is now 2020 part two and of course we we're already calling 2020 2019 part uh part two weren't we so it's 2019 part three. So yeah, we've got a trilogy now. So there's all these these factors to uh, to consider. And some teams might feel that it's better off just to keep head down and focus on on developing the, the 20 and 21 cars as they are now and let 2022 take care of itself. So that there's a few there's a few things to balance up there, aren't there, Scott? Well, in case Scott talks about 2014 again, uh, and I think he he conveniently glossed over all the boring races we had uh, in that season. I'll answer that question, Ed. I think when these rules are being turned around so quickly, everyone was kind of in the same boat that they could work up to a certain point on the current cars and they all probably had a similar date in mind for when they could switch focus to what was going to be 2021. Now we've got a kind of one and a half season or almost two season window for this. I can see some of the midfield teams seeing a chance to steal a march, potentially steal some prize money as well by throwing a bit more at 2020. So I think it makes it a much more difficult question for the teams because if you're a midfield team who can finish sort of fourth or fifth, imagine if you're McLaren, for example, and you're thinking, okay, we've got our operation back in the right lines. We we know we've done a good job. They'd have been thinking this season, start well, 
secure hopefully fourth, but at worst fifth in the championship, and then really make a step for 21. They've now got the issue of if they were going to plan to switch over quite early, that puts an extra season at risk now where they could slide down the order, lose out on prize money and lose their sort of position in the competitive pecking order. I definitely think that some of the midfield teams now must be going, well, how big were our chances of making a step with those new rules? If those rules are really prescriptive anyway, how much effort do we need to put in, especially if we're taking a lot of fundamental parts from almost a a parent team or a senior team? I I think it makes the 2020 equation really interesting now. And we've seen it in the past. You think back to... 2013 I've done it I've I've done a Scott I've turned into talking about 2013 and 2014 but at the end of 13 it's quite well known that most people switched off entirely in the second half of the year and what's remembered is that Red Bull kept going kept winning all those races with Vettel but you also had a team like Sauber so this is right up your street Ed who had Nico Hülkenberg was one of the heroes of the second half of that season because Sauber just kept developing that car and it caught them out the following year but I could see teams in that scenario thinking there's a couple of positions in the Constructors' Championship up for grabs in 2021 now that might not have been the case before. So I think it's, it's thrown all that back up in the air. Yeah, and there's, there's a few other dimensions to consider as well because there's a couple of teams that there's question marks over their, over their continued involvement, certainly Renault as a works team. How does this impact impact that? You know, there's a lot of companies, automotive manufacturers included, are going to be under further financial pressure. So does this situation jeopardise that? What's going to happen with Haas? We already know they're considering what they're going to do. So, yeah, it's, it's um, again, far, far-reaching consequences. And that, that will feed into how teams opt to take, uh, to take their decisions and, and those who want to try and get some short-term success. But, it, again, all comes down to when... When things start, doesn't it? If if it's not going to be till August, September, October, some of those those dies will already be cast. I, I worry about Renault. Actually, I, I was kind of worried about their long term future anyway. But you felt like the twenty one regs were soon enough that they could hang around to see if they could make a big step there. If they've got to wait an extra year and are potentially have a, a kind of baked in competitive disadvantage for another season, and you know, there's there's the financial economy issue going on that's going to be affecting the parent companies of all of these manufacturer teams. That's really worrying, actually, um, now you mention it. And this is what I mean, like we said earlier, all of these these trajectories of teams and drivers and, and the calendar. We could end up with a torn-up calendar this year. And actually we go, well, those races work quite well together. And it'd be, I think we're, we're in for a huge, a huge shake-up. And some of, it could, some of it's quite scary, but some of it could be quite interesting. We're also going to have, I reckon, a few little trials this year. I can definitely see if we get into a really compressed run of races, I can see the uh, 2021 uh, weekend format being brought forward to to this year on occasion where possible binning off Fridays maybe or reducing running to maybe something on Friday afternoon and then the rest of the stuff Saturday, Sunday just to try and alleviate some of the the pressure from a sustained run of races. So uh, this is going to be basically the best chance F1's got and the best justification F1 has for trialling stuff. If you remember last year when Ross Braun talked about, oh, um, if the championship's decided, you know, is there any, is there, is it legitimate to consider trying a different format or trying this and the idea was that just because a drivers or constructors championship is decided doesn't mean there isn't other stuff to play for within within the season so you can't really do it but the season's not started yet the season might not start for 
three months, four months, five months. So maybe by the time we get there, the only way of getting through the season to a respectable number of races um, is going to be to to try something a little bit different. So uh, when the season starts is completely at the hands of coronavirus, which has had absolutely zero um, time to, to, to be given to, to the F1 schedule. So it doesn't really care about what we're waiting for. But it's not just about when it starts. It's about exactly what kind of Formula One we're going to see when it does begin because already the season is going to be unrecognisable from the one we thought we'd have in 2020. So who knows if the format or or what we see on those weekends will change with it. Uh, well, we should probably uh, bring things to a close here now. I, sh- I should apologise that we don't have a Scots people in, in this particular episode. We weren't anticipating recording this at uh, this time, but uh, events uh, forced it. So we will let Scott do that uh, in, a, in a future episode and, and pick it up again. I can come up with one now if you want. You can put it, you can come up with a question if you want. Yeah, I think it's been a bit of a it's been a it's been a bonkers seven days for Formula One, hasn't it? In terms of the uh, just exactly how much has changed over over the number of races that have been postponed or cancelled, and what we're looking at now uh, rules wise. So my my question would be based on what I was saying just now about the uh, potential for a format change, if you basically, if Ross Braun and, and Chase Carey gave you the keys to F1 to save the rest of the 2020 season, what would be your sort of one initiative to bring in? What would it be? Would it be double headers? Um, would it be reverse grids? Uh, what what way to, to spice up and save the 2020 season? I won't put you two on the spot now. You no, can I've, put, I've got great. Oh, I've yeah, got great please answer. do. Oh. Oh, go on then. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll kick off Scots People with you two. It's like a live Scots People, basically. We should definitely do a live Scots People at some point. That's going in the content plan for the next few months. But go on then, Ed and Glenn, what would you do? Well, the one thing I'd go for is a uh, easily mass-producible vaccine, because I think that'll have the most significant impact on the 2020 season. You are the most boring person who's ever hosted a podcast. I'll tell you what, Ed, you get to work on that and let us know Let us know how you get on. <laughs> I think there's some much, much better qualified. In fact, I don't think there are. I know there are some many, many more I don't much think better that's, qualified. I don't think that's F1's job either. If you, got, if you basically turn around to Chase and just went, right, you've got one thing to do this year, he's not going to go, hmm, I'm going to stop concentrating on the financial health of my championship and I'll go to, I'll go to work coming up with a vaccine. It's probably ju- it's probably slightly out of his job description. Yeah, but I don't believe your your question ruled that out that ruled out that possibility or set those parameters. So uh... no, well done. You've answered on a technicality. You've, you're technically correct, which, as we all know, is the best kind of correct. Indeed. Did you do you have a do you have a more hilarious answer, Glenn? Uh, it's not it's not hilarious. I mean, we should have known that Edge Straw would spot any opportunity for pedantry, shouldn't we? Uh, I'm disappointed you mentioned it actually, Scott, because I, I was going to. Uh, I was going to be slightly tongue in cheek and say reverse grids because I don't think they help with the schedule or the calendar at all, um, unless you're going to make them shorter. But um, yeah, like you said, I I think there's an interesting opportunity here for someone like Ross Braun, who did have all these ideas he wanted to trial when he met too much resistance. He might be able to uh, find a way, ways of force majeure now to try and try some of those. And I think reverse grid should be on that agenda. You know, why not? Um, if we're going to end up with lots of races in quick succession, um, there's no better excuse to to try mixing up the formats um, than right now. Let, let, let's let's try and capitalise on the dis- disruption and uh, and see what we get out of it. You know, I think there's no harm in in trying things, and uh, the quicker we try them, probably the quicker we can eliminate the bad ones. 
yeah, well, there's a good opportunity there for uh, for some new ideas. Uh, well, we'll bring it to a close there. Do check out therace.com and don't forget the hyphen for all the latest on uh, ongoings on in F1. There's, there seems to be a huge amount happening, despite the fact there's nothing really happening uh, on track. And obviously do check out our YouTube channel as well. Loads of videos turning up there. And, and check out our sister podcast as well, the Gary Anderson F1 show, Bring Back V10s, which we mentioned, MotoGP podcast, Formula E podcast. There's loads there for you to listen to. Uh, We'll be back next week with yet more podcastery. (laughs) 